This is the Silver Wolf Howl. I am Angela, and today we are chatting to Nicole Engelbrecht again, uh, part two of our interview with the host of True Crime SA, and I lived through this. Nicole, nice to be back again. <laughs> Thanks for having us back again. <laughs> it's a pleasure again. <laughs> okay, so um, my next question. Where do you get your stories, content and information to compile your episodes both for True Crime Essay and for I Live Through This? Um, so for True Crime South Africa, listeners do make requests for cases they'd like to hear about. Um, so I have a very long list of cases that will probably take me another six years to cover if I go from beginning to end. Um, but then I also have families that reach out to me that would like me to cover their loved one's case, whether it's a solved case or an unsolved case. Um, so that's where generally where the, the cases come from. Um, in terms of information, it depends whether it's a solved or an unsolved case. Solved cases are generally a lot easier because there will be judgments available on safely, which give you often give you a breakdown of the evidence and a breakdown of the events. There'll be, I mean, if there's books available, media articles, which I always take with a pinch of salt, um, you know, and in some of the cases, I'm able to track down a lot more evidence. Um, obviously, in, in South Africa, you do, we don't have as much information put out into the public domain even on solved cases as we do as they do in some other countries like America um, so it is often difficult to find all the information you need but even you know social media is is good um, those are so those are the sorts of places that I find for the solved cases and then unsolved cases Often the families, if it's a cold case, the families will have a lot of information that gathered over the years. So a lot of these people end up, you know, with little notebooks where they've been writing every little thing that's happened, every lead they've chased down. Um, sometimes they've got copies of the dockets, you know, so the unsolved cases are quite different in that respect. And then on I Lived Through This... That's sort of, because it's very new, um, I started looking for stories in other places that had spoken about survival stories. So I would do Google searches for all sorts of different terms that would bring me back to these stories. And then as I started interviewing people, the survivor would say, well, I know someone else who's been through something similar, can I refer them? Um, so that happens. And then also now listeners of I Live Through This are coming forward with their own survival stories and saying, uh, you know, we'd like, I'd like to tell my story on the podcast. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's hopefully that answers your question. Oh yes, it it does. Thank you. Um, investigators and you know other professions like that connected with crime fighting in South Africa, they usually have stories or incidents that have affected them negatively. Um, has telling these stories had a similar effect on you? Um. This is a question that I get asked quite often, and I, in the beginning, I didn't know why the answer was predominantly no, but I think that I, I've got more insight into that now. So I don't think it has a negative effect on me, and not, not a long-term negative effect in, in any case. Um, 
and I guess your definition of negative effect is also maybe different from mine. You know, for me, a negative effect would be if I could no longer function, no, no longer do the the work that I'm doing, and that has certainly never been the case for me. Um, these co- stories do stay with me. Um, they impact me emotionally in terms of listening to these people tell their stories and you know what they've been through. And also, you know, my own <clears throat> lacking in terms of I can't really help these people except to tell their stories, you know. Um, so, yes, it's, it's emotionally difficult at times, but I think that what I've come to realize now is that I have always been quite an emotionally resilient person, and I think that has helped me a lot. Um, I don't... So I mentor a group of other true crime South, oh, sorry, true crime content creators in South Africa. And I have noticed that a lot of them do need to take breaks much more often. Um, you know, they are deeply emotionally impacted by the material. And that was perhaps not surprising to me, but surprising to see that I wasn't impacted that way. Um, you know, so I've had to like really drill down and wonder, you know, why that is. And I, I do think it really just boils down to emotional resilience to a certain extent, um, you know. But that that's that's the answer today. And tomorrow you might find me call, curled up in a ball in the corner. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, for, for today I'm good. And, yeah, I, I think a lot of it as well is I see – the benefit of what we're doing and what the stories we're telling outweighs the lingering, you know, whatever lingering negative emotional impact it might have. Um, so if I keep myself focused on what we're getting out of this, I think that helps as well. Yeah, I think that um, the people I was talking about earlier um, who are negatively affected, I think that that is probably also their motivation to keep going. Otherwise, it's... Um, yeah, it could probably be quite difficult. So what are some of the challenges that you face? Um, you know, so the very basic basic challenges, I think, is, is finding information. Often there are stories that I want to tell, but there's not enough information in the public domain to be able to tell the story. Um, you know, I do have a workaround in that and that I do like mini-sodes, so I might just tell a shorter story you know, in a, in a shorter format, but that's certainly one of one of the challenges. Um, I think that one of the biggest challenges for me is being approached by. I get approached by many, many families um, who have not received justice for their family members, who have had difficulties with police, and I think the challenge there for me is saying, okay. Is me telling this story on the podcast actually helping these people? Or is that just the only thing I have to offer? Um, you know, and, and that has become very difficult for me because, you know, it's I want to help everyone, but I, you know, I literally am just a podcaster. And I always try to explain to people that, you know, I'm, I'm not an investigator. I don't have secret connections with the police. I don't have influence. I, you know, I can only talk about your story. If that's going to be enough for you, then I'm more than willing to do it. 
You know, so I think that is one of the biggest challenges is perhaps feeling as though I might disappoint these people, but also having to be very realistic and not want to make them promises that I know will not be kept. Yeah, yeah. These are difficult, I'm sure. Um, we also find that with our work that, you know, we can only do so much. And um, yeah, it's a challenge sometimes. Tell me, is there a story that you've been involved with um, that had a surprisingly positive outcome? So in an, in a case where it just looked like this was just, you know, going so negatively um, and there was no way for you to turn around and then it just surprised you at the end with something really positive have you had such an experience so I don't know um, when I covered the case of missing uh, Desiree Reed went missing she's been missing now for 22 years Um, I covered her case on the podcast and chatted with her sister Janet and I thought that telling the story would would um, you know bring awareness and it would be nice for her sister to be able to hear the story. But what actually came out of telling that out of that episode was like sort of beyond belief. Firstly, we did get a few um, leads on her sister's case, which are currently being sightings of her, not current sightings, but prior sightings that can at least put a timeline on where she may have been when. Um, so that was one side of it. But then it had a totally unexpected turn. Um, so Janet's, uh, so Desiree, the missing person, her niece and nephew were born after she went missing. So they've never met their aunt. Okay, they're currently, they're teenagers. But they've grown up with their mom and their gran, um, Desiree's mom and sister, with this being an ever-present sort of specter looming over them in their lives is this missing aunt. And both um, children are really good singers. So I had this weird idea. I started chatting with with, uh, Janet. We, We chat on WhatsApp and, you know, we get along quite well. And I had this strange idea that why don't they write a song about the loss that they've experienced, which has really been their entire life, that's been the basis of their whole life, is the loss people experience around a missing person and that sort of complex grief where you don't know if you should be grieving or not be grieving because you don't know where that person is. So Janet's teenage daughter wrote the song. She then performed it and sang it with her brother. And that song was, it's one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. So the idea, it's, it's called Void, and their band is called Fragmented. And the idea is that that song about their aunt Desiree and about all missing people will be played in every single episode of True Crime South Africa going forward as the theme song or the backing track where I cover a missing person. And it is... Just an absolute phenomenal piece of work. They are both such talented kids. And when you listen to the song, you can hear that they are speaking from a place of knowing. Even though they didn't know their aunt, 
their their whole lives have been wrapped up in the search. That's that's been all they've known their entire lives since the day they were born was searching for a missing person. Um, so that song is probably one of the most honest, sincere, genuine pieces of music that I've ever heard, and it's yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. So I think that's definitely one of the the episodes that I've done that went in a direction that I could never ever have imagined. <laughs> wow. That is such an incredible story. Wow, sure. You know, when I ask people these questions, um, I kind of think, mm, okay, they may go in this direction or in that, but that response that you gave me now was so... I would never have thought of, of that, that that would be an experience that you had. And wow, that is that is just such, um, such a real silver lining in that whole story, isn't it? Um, then it actually leads me to my next question. Uh, what is it that you find most satisfying about your work? I love storytelling. So, and I mean, I, I'm very much aware that these are not just stories, that are, these are, you know, this is someone's reality. Um, but I think being able to tell stories firstly is is satisfying for me, but knowing that in doing so I'm creating awareness um, and hopefully, you know, just if there's one person who's, whose mind has changed, um, you know, if there's one person who realizes that they've become, a, that they were a victim of, you know, of whatever crime I might be discussing, or if there's a person who looks at their son or daughter and says, maybe we need to get you some help before you do end up progressing on a criminal uh, path, you know, for me, those and I do have people coming forward. I'm very, very blessed and very grateful when people come forward and tell me the value that they've got out of the podcast. And there's some, there's some wild stories. I mean, there's people who've switched on a podcast and realized halfway through that they actually used to date the guy I'm talking about as the perpetrator and they've actually got information in a case, you know, um, right down to people who've realized that what happened to them as a child was rape and they've gone and opened cases. Um, you know, so for me, that is always going to be over and above everything else is a real world impact on, on human beings that are sitting on the other side listening to me tell the story. But that victim didn't realize that what, what happened to them would result in this domino effect. But even after they're gone, their story is still, still helping someone else. Um, you know, so for me, I think that's, that's the greatest, greatest value. Sure. The only response I can give to that is just a great big smile. It's just, that's just really lovely. Um, have you had any cold cases that were solved as a result of the podcast or, you know, that the podcast had some positive effect on on an ongoing case or a cold case and made a, a difference to that case? Yeah, so that's that's been a very um, sort of happy happy consequence of, of the podcast is that in the unsolved and missing cases that I've covered, missing person cases that I've covered, leads have started coming in on those cases. Um, we There have been missing person cases where 
family members have been re reunited who it, it was not the missing person but other family members who hadn't seen each other in many many years have been reunited because of the podcast I've had people listening to the podcast about um, one specific missing person who realized that she had dated a person who'd been implicated in the possible murder of the missing person. Uh, that person has gone on to give a full statement to the South African Police Service about that case. So there have been lots of instances, I'd say probably at least 10 or 12 across the board in missing person cases and unsolved murders where people have come forward with information. And what I'd like to say about that is that without fail, every time someone does come forward, they say that they've had this information for years. And they say that they convinced themselves that the information was not important. And listening to the person the person's story, the person who was missing or who was murdered, listening to their story and hearing about how they were human beings and they had families, that is what prompted them to come forward. And I think so many people out there depersonalize information that they might have, that they make the the victim a non-entity. They try and, you know, not in a horrible way, but in a way that they need to protect themselves. And that's often the beauty of cold cases is someone who has information at the time may not be in a position to give that information because they're afraid themselves. But in 20 years, time has both been against you and with you because it has helped you. That person is probably not in that situation anymore. Um, you know, and that's been a lot of the situations that I've had with the, the podcast is a person was either in an abusive relationship with a possible perpetrator, um, they were a family member who's since passed, um, you know, any of those types of situations, and they're now no longer in that situation, and now they realize how important that information is. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been happening quite a lot, and it's been fantastic. Wow, fantastic indeed. I mean, talk about... Um, you know, a pebble in the pond and the ripple effect, a positive ripple effect that your podcast could have such effects on, on the lives of these people. Um, I mean, the victim, the people, the information, the family of the victim and the case itself and everyone connected to it. It's just, wow, it's it's mind-blowing, isn't it? When you think about that that effect that this podcast is having so thank you for for doing this it's wow it's really a positive and wonderful thing now nicole i've got one last question to ask you and i know you're going to be so sad to see us go <laughs> try and be strong okay so most of us have some interesting and like offbeat or funny kind of stories that have been that we've been involved in. Um, do you have anyone that you can think of to share with us? Mm. So unfortunately, I don't get a you know we we do I try and make it relaxed and we we laugh and giggle a lot in our in the interviews that I do. But I think probably the funniest moment so far was. Uh, with Captain, uh, retired Captain Ben Boyson when I interviewed him for the Devil's Door podcast. So he was the now retired cop who cracked the Krugersdorp killer's case. And so his, his um, nickname is Blixem. 
And he's a very down-to-earth, say-it-as-it-is type of guy. So I think that was probably one of the moments that stands out for me when I was interviewing him. He was telling me about his, his wife, Christelle, is also a police officer. And he had got himself into the situation where he was literally working, working himself into a hospital bed on this Krugersdorp killer's case. And he was sitting at home the one day. He decided to take just one day off to try and recover from he was getting recurring bronchitis and, you know, he was really, really just ill and not wanting to go to the doctor, refusing to go to the doctor, okay? So he tells me he's sitting at the kitchen table and he's coughing and he's coughing and he's coughing and his wife, Christelle, walk, walks up to him and she says to him, Ben, today you are going to the doctor. Either you are going to the doctor for your chest or you're going to the doctor for your foot. And he says, but what's wrong with my foot? She says, if you don't go to the doctor, I'm going to fucking shoot you in it. <laughs> goodness gracious talking about being proactive <laughs> oh man okay i hope you went to the doctor for his chest ah <laughs> oh, thanks for that story and just thanks for sharing all of your stuff and once again thank you so much for making this podcast um hearing the positivity that that it's spreading and the difference that it's making it's just so wonderful and thank you for talking to us and having it be part of my podcast today, all your stories. And um, for just for, yeah, just for being so lovely and, and accommodating to us again. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, as I say, it is, it's, I always feel it's an honor to be able to do this. And um, I love talking about what I do. So I really appreciate being given the platform. 